Welcome back, Warriors. Tensei, Sego, Ani Buju, Kwe Pam Palmeter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty and protecting our territories all over Turtle Island. And I hope everyone is safe and healthy and sheltered during this pandemic. I see a lot of amazing work being done by Indigenous peoples all over, including here in Canada, the U.S., and and other countries, wherever we have Indigenous brothers and sisters. And to me, that's what real sovereignty looks like. And I also think it's important, especially in times of crisis, to keep an eye on what is happening within our sovereign territories. One of the most shocking things about this pandemic is that the government has forbidden public gatherings, yet have allowed extractive industries and energy industries to continue their construction and operations, despite the major risks of harm to people, our land, and our waters. So... In an effort to keep a focus on what is happening on our sovereign territories and the importance of our collective resistance, I have an interview with a Native woman warrior who put her own freedom and liberty on the line to defend the land. Beatrice Hunter is an Inuk woman who was arrested and imprisoned for peacefully defending her lands and waters against Muskrat Falls Hydroelectric Mega Project. She is an inspiration to me and to so many people engaged on the front line. And I really wanted you all to have a chance to hear directly from her about her experience and all of the issues that are facing her people. Welcome to the show, Beatrice. I I hope you're uh, healthy and safe right now. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you. I hope everyone else is too. Um, It's really... I find it really hard, and I'm sure every other Indigenous family finds it uh, hard too as well because you're so close to your family, and when you come from big flat family, a big family like I do, um, you're usually used to getting together, and you can't do it right now. So I'm just glad we're keeping, I'm keeping in close contact with my own family, so I hope everyone else is too. Yeah, really, I mean, that's what really gets us through this, you know, keeping in contact. And I'm wondering, you know, for people who might not have met you before, if you would like to introduce yourself in the way that you want, where you're from, that kind of thing. Uh, My name is Beatrice Hunter. I'm an Inuk grandmother. I'm from uh, Happy, I'm originally from Hopedale, Labrador, Newfoundland, Labrador. I am a Labrador land protector. Uh, both my son Scott Dicker and I are Labrador land protectors, and we fight for our own indigenous rights, and we still are. And uh, we try, we try our hardest to fight for the land and our freedoms that's supposed to be given to us. Um, so that's basically it. I understand that your background is an Inuit background, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the importance of, you know, land and water to Inuit peoples. The land and water is so important to us because of the high cost of living in northern Labrador, or in Labrador, basically. We usually hunt and fish and 
pick berries uh, as a subsistence because it's such a high cost of living here. So we really depend on the fish, the seals, the berries, and everything else for sustenance because usually the income that we get doesn't totally doesn't totally cover everything we need so we do depend on the land and the water very much so we we I grew up going out on the land and I only realize now how much I took it for granted my parents constantly took us out on the land to go egging, hunting, berry picking, going up the bay, staying at the cabin. My father was a uh, the first Inuk Moravian minister in Labrador, and he used to travel Hopedale to Nain and Nain to Hopedale by boat mosquito, and he would take us six kids and a dog in a speedboat or on skidoo, so it I grew up on the land and I didn't realize until now that I took it for granted. Well, I mean, it's, it's a part of how you're raised. It's, it's one of those things, you know, you don't even learn about in school. It's just the way you're raised and, and you know, interconnected and interdependence on the lands and waters and all the plants and animals and everything that's there. I mean, the way in which yeah. colonial governments have interfered with that, you know, made us reliant yeah. on on money and buying things as opposed to living from the land must have really impacted your people. Exactly. It's funny how ever since this virus started as well, I didn't realize how much I depended on the system as well. You realize that your ancestral way of life is so important for now. It's so important right now. Like, and now I realize that I'm too dependent on the system to give me what I need. And that's that's sad. That's so sad in a way. But I think it, it'll create us or bring us back to the land and the water and the berries. Mother Earth is basically showing us that we still need her, even though from my personal point of view that I honestly took her for granted. But it opens your eyes and you come back to where your ancestors came from, where you came from, and you just come back. It's like full circle now. It's like this was supposed to happen so you could come back to who you were. What an amazing way of looking at it because I've I've seen other people doing that too, going out and saying, well, because food supplies are low, we're going to go out and um, stock up on moose meat for all the elders. Mother Earth is trying to talk to us as well because she wants to keep those traditions, those ways of life alive so that we can teach others how to do it. Exactly. And if you, if you look at what's happening during this pandemic look, and you see all the videos of all the animals and the birds and you know, other living beings starting to reoccupy lands and waters yeah. that they have been excluded from for so long, you realize yeah, that exactly. how out of balance we are. Yeah, exactly. And Mother Earth has answered our prayers. I, I, I remember praying to her so many times. I remember praying to her and the Creator, I need help here. I don't know how to get through to them. I can't get through to, through to them. They won't listen to me. 
uh, they won't listen to me because I'm an Inuk woman. What is it? Tell me. Tell me what it is because I can't get through to them. Especially, especially when the Judge Murphy had given his ruling calling us guilty and I couldn't believe it. And I kept thinking, well, like, did he not listen to a word we said? Did he already have his mind made up? And I'm like thinking Mother Earth and Father Sky is like they're answering the prayer I gave him. And I remember praying so hard and on my knees and thinking, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do it. And I don't know what else to do yet. I remember this is my plea. This is my plea because I don't know what to do anymore. And I'm sorry to get upset, but it's such, no. it's such a long struggle to try and get through to settlers and colonists and the colonial system and the the court system and it is just a frustrating system and you know you know deep down it's just you're wondering okay am i ever gonna get through and then this pandemic happens and like things start happening uh, around the world like like the the water start to clear up, the air pollution is starting to go away, and you're like, wow! Did did Mother Earth and Father Sky and the Creator really hear me? You know, I can't reach out and hug you right now, but I can feel the burden that rests on you and all of the land defenders who just try everything possible to make people listen. I mean, we're not even asking for anything radical other than let's just save the lands and waters and plants and animals that we all need to survive so that we're all healthy and okay instead of destroying the earth. And the pandemic has shown us is, I mean, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, people don't get really sick or die from this pandemic. But what we have shown what the world has been shown is that if they take certain measures, reduce traffic and reduce pollution and and make more space for animals, then we can save the earth. It's actually possible, but it means that we have to take certain measures purposefully, intentionally try to protect the earth. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like sitting here and I'm like, so I'm, I'm constantly praying for those who don't get it all the time mm. i'm constantly praying for judge murphy i'm constantly praying for Nelcor. i'm constantly praying for the premier of newfoundland labrador i'm constantly praying for justin trudeau because i don't need the prayer i get it i know i need to pray for the enemy because they don't get it here i am constantly praying so that my granddaughter can have the chance to grow up like I did. It's not that she has to, but it's an option for her. I mean, it's 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 quite a thing. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you today is because outside of the Atlantic provinces or the Maritimes or the East Coast or eastern part of Turtle Island, whatever descriptor yeah. we use it, not everybody knows the issue with Muskrat Falls. I mean, it got lots of media attention, but sometimes yeah. people in Alberta are focused on Alberta or people in BC are yeah. focused on BC. Yeah, so exactly. I was hoping that you could give all of our listeners a little bit of description about 
what is the Muskrat Falls project and what's happened over time? The Muskrat Falls project uh, is a hydro dam. It was sanctioned, I can't even remember, I think it was 2015 or something like that. And it was sanctioned by the Premier Daniel Williams at the time. We all thought, even I thought, we were finally going to get some decent jobs in Happy Valley Goose Bay in Labrador. Um, because it was it was a slow economy here as well. There was really nothing happening. I was honestly fooled by him, and I honestly thought that we were going to get jobs, but that didn't happen. And then in October of 2016, Philly Gold, a Inno Carver, had decided to go on hunger strike because of missile mercury poisoning and the threat of the North Spur. But he basically did it for the threat of the methyl mercury poisoning. That month, people in the local community really started ramping up gatherings at the Muskrat Falls Gate in opposition of the Muskrat Falls Project. During that time, there were a lot of gatherings there at the gate. And then one day on a Saturday, there were more people, usually on the weekends. We had decided to break through the Muskrat Falls Gate. And we broke in. And as we walked in, we saw these piles of wood that had been rotted because they cleared the road for to walk into or to drive into Muskrat Falls. And we were so heartbroken because we kept thinking, like, we could have used this wood. We could have used this wood to build a cabin or a comedic or, or something. And it was so discouraging and we couldn't believe it. But we eventually got to uh, the building at Muskrat Falls and we had decided to have a peaceful sit-in. Nelcor and the government actually didn't know what to do. They weren't expecting it at all. We had peacefully occupied uh, Muskrat for four days. And the reason why we ended up leaving was because the gate crashers and the hunger strikers had finally put enough pressure on the government in Melkor to try and meet the hunger strikers' demands because there was two other hunger strikers with them, or with Billy, Delilah Saunders, and Jeremiah's Kohlmeister. And uh, they had agreed to meet their demands, but we know the answer now to that. So we had decided after the four and a half days and after the hunger strikers got their demands, we decided to uh, support the hunger strikers and leave Muskrat Falls. But it didn't take long uh, for the RCMP to drop off court orders. So we had ignored those court orders and started gathering at the gate again. And then about a year later, Melkor released water. I think it was in the spring of 2017. They had released water and uh, there was a, a lot of snow that year too as well. But Melkor released water to protect the hydro dam instead of the people. And a little town called Mud Lake had actually flooded. It had flooded before, but not that severely. This part is hard. It's it's a hard story to tell because she they had to wake up. She had to wake up her grandmother in the middle of the night, and they had to rush out to higher ground because the water was rushing really fast. The dog was trying to protect them from the water, and this was in the middle of the night. And 
she said she'll she'll never forget it. And now a lot of the Mud Lake residents get a lot of PTSD every spring, so I'm sure they're going through it now uh, since it's spring here again. But each time Nelcor does something stupid that makes people realize that they don't care for anyone here. So, And then about, I, I can't remember if it was the same year or if it was the year after when the judge had asked me to stay one kilometer away from the gate and I had said no. We had gathered, still gathered so many times at the, the Muskrat Falls Gate and had done so many walks to the North Spur because the North Spur is not stable. It, it's a natural part of the dam. It's made up of quickly, and that's really unnerving and scary. It has given me many sleepless nights because as soon as water touches it, it dissolves. And this scares everybody, basically, because what do you do with a natural part of the dam that dissolves when water touches it? Like, what do you, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know how they're, they're doing it now. I can't believe the dam hasn't broken. And then we've tampered down our peaceful protests have been basically gone now because it doesn't happen anymore because everybody's fearful of the system because what Nelcor, the government and the court system has done to us because of this stupid court injunction that Nelcor has set out to us. But lately it's been interesting because you realize how corrupt this system is and it's funny, and you see it all like you see it all across for any resource extraction or resource development. The same thing that's happening here is happening everywhere. Just recently, the mayor of Happy Valley Goose Bay tried to organize a motorcade because the town and the people of Happy Valley Goose Bay wanted to stop travelers from coming from Newfoundland because coronavirus is spreading really quickly. They're still coming in for work at Muskrat Falls and Boise Bay, which is an iron mine in northern Labrador. People wanted to stop that travel, and Mayor was trying to organize a motorcade that day to the road to Muskrat Falls. Nelcor, I don't know if it was Nelcor or the government or probably both, they had come up with a new rule stating that no one was allowed to organize motorcades anymore because of the virus. So that was shot down really quickly. But it's funny how Muskrat Falls always pops up, whether people want to or not, because there was a long time, for a long time, people didn't want to talk about Muskrat Falls, especially after myself, Marjorie Flowers, Jim Learning, and Eldred. Davis being arrested and sent to prison. Um, nobody wanted to talk about it because everybody seemed like exhausted or just tired of talking about it because mm-hmm. it seemed like no matter how hard you tried, it, nobody was actually doing anything about it or trying to help you to get your voice out there and to try and make some change. So it's still a very frustrating time and you obviously can hear it in my voice yeah. because we're, we're still attending court. 
that's basically it. One of the reasons why this captured so much media attention um, at one point was because you were actually arrested to a men's prison? Yes. And what had happened, I had said no to the judge when he asked, Judge Murphy, when he had asked me to stay one kilometer from the Muskrat Falls Gate. And the reason why I did it was I was trying to protect my son, Scott Dicker, who is also a Labrador land protector. And I kept thinking, okay, they're going to keep arresting us. And I kept thinking, if I don't push back, they're going to do something to my son. And then I don't want them to do anything to my son. I'm okay if they do it to me, but I don't want them to send my son to jail. So I pushed back and said no to the judge. It had traumatized my son, Scott Dicker, and also my family. I was originally going to be held up here in the local RCMP, but um, my fellow Labradorians had started protesting about my incarceration. So uh, I think it was a day, the day after, or was it a couple of days after? I can't remember because it's so long ago now. Um, they told me that I was going to be sent to St. John's. They had told me, okay, we're taking you. And I had asked them, I said, where are you taking me? And they said, we're taking you to St. John's. And I said, why? And they didn't say anything. I didn't know my family tried to come and visit me. They had uh, told me I was being sent to St. John's. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't see my family before I left. I don't think my family knew anything about it either. And they had put me on the RCMP plane. And the first thing I thought is, I'm going to be another murdered or missing Indigenous woman. And all the way down from Happy Valley Goose Bay to St. John's, which is kilometers of miles away from my home, I was shaking, shaking all the way down, shaking. I was shaking in fear. I couldn't stop shaking. I couldn't stop crying. And I just, I remember when I first took off from Happy Valley Goose Bay, I I said, okay, beat. Make sure you look at your family's houses. Make sure you look at your sister's house. Make sure you look at your son's apartment building. Make sure you look at each house before you leave because it might be the last time you look at it because you might go murdered or missing. And then on the way down to St. John's, I had happened to look out the window and it was it was a windy day. Actually, I looked at this lake and the way the waves were going on the lake from the wind, it had seemed like my parents and my ancestors were trying to wave at me because it seemed like they were saying, you're going to be all right, you're going to be all right. And I said, okay. I just kept to myself. Um, It was so embarrassing on the way down because they strip search you. And it was the first time ever in my life I had ever been strip searched. Never been so afraid in my life. Never afraid, even though I've survived a date rape, even though I had survived an abusive ex-husband. This was the most terrifying time in my life. And when they had gotten me to St. John's, they had me in Supreme Court holding cell for a couple of days. 
and they had actually taken me to a, a male prison. I didn't know at the time it was a male prison because it's not like they show you everything. The name of the male prison was Her Majesty's Penitentiary. And I, I remember thinking, oh my God, even Queen wants her greedy claws on Labrador. That was the first thing I thought. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought when I saw the name of the prison. And um, it was my first time ever in jail. It was my first time ever in prison. I was so afraid. I didn't know what to expect next. I didn't know. Even just recently, I don't even know how I survived because I had just read an article on an indigenous grandmother that got killed in a prison. Like, why does it have to happen to her? I can't imagine what those parents are going through. If I lost my daughter or if I lost my granddaughter, all hell would break loose with me if it happened to mine. But it happens all the time. Someone had asked me if I would do it again. And I asked myself that same question all the time. But then I thought, of course I would do it again because I was trying to protect my child. I know I would do anything to protect my children. I would give my life for my children. I know that. I hope it doesn't have to come to that, but I know I would do it. There's always, as you can see, constant mm. thoughts going on in my head. You hear about the struggle of other Indigenous people, and they're going through the same thing. So you're not alone, B. You're not alone. They're going through the same thing. You're not alone. You're. I'm constantly trying not to think about it, but it's always on your mind. Muskrat Falls will always be on your mind because now they've flooded the dam and now there's obviously methylmercury poisoning and they haven't done an independent study on the North Spur. So you're just sitting there waiting. When is the dam going to break? When am I going to see somebody, a baby or child with methylmercury poisoning? Are they going to have deformities? And then I, I know I'm going to be thinking, okay, I should have did more. As soon as I see that child or that baby, that shouldn't have happened. You should have pushed harder. You should have pushed back. Okay, you got through this. Now you can get through it again. It's constantly going through your head and you can't help it because it's just right there. That is so not understood by the general public or by all those like right-wing commentators who sometimes refer to native land defenders as, oh, they're just professional protesters or they get paid to do that or they just do this for a living and they have no concept. If they could even just hear the way it's impacted you. I mean, it's impacted you, you know, mind, body and spirit. It's I'm not a professional protester. I wish I wish I was, yeah. but I'm not. <laughs> I wish I, I'm not. I'm totally yeah. not. I never, ever thought in my life I would go to prison. Ever. Ever. Mm -hmm. Never, ever. It just upsets me when people say stuff like that because you're just trying to protect yourself. You're trying to protect yeah. the ones you love. You're like fighting for your life actual fighting like it's not a, like a fist fight or anything it's a strong mind competition mm -hmm. it, and it can get so frustrating and 
you're tired of the same old answer. Like, isn't the human race smarter than this? Like, mm -hmm. really? That would be our greatest wish. We were the ones in power, then this wouldn't be the case. And then for people to understand yeah. Yeah. what's at stake, the impact and the fear and the trauma and the yeah. ongoing yeah. impact on you from having been transported to prison, from having been in prison, from not knowing what was going to happen, from making you think that you're alone. Because I find that the, it's the one yeah. thing yeah. Canada and the United States do yeah. is when they see us all coming together strong as a collective, yeah. their number yeah. one focus exactly. is to get us alone so that we feel alone and yeah. we don't have our support. Yeah, exactly. And um, when the Manuel family had just recently invited me to their um, tiny house warriors camp, I wasn't going to do it first because once I start with those thoughts, it takes me to a really dark place. I was like having second thoughts before I did it. I was like, should I do it? Even just before I had shown them what my PTSD was like. And then I was totally shocked after because I constantly wondering if you're going to get judged. So afterwards, a lot of the water protectors and land protectors had come up to me after and me and I was like totally shocked. I, they said, Beatrice, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, really? And they said, yes. And I was kind of glad I did it because it kind of showed them, especially the young warriors, the young water protectors and the young land protectors, kind of proud after because it showed them that they're not alone. They're not alone. Everyone feels like this. So I was kind of glad I had done it after, but I was really, it was really nerve wracking before performance. So. It was so cool to meet other water protectors. Our land protectors having gotten together for such a long time, um, mm -hmm. but it was so cool to meet others that are going through the same thing and who had gone through the same thing I had. And it was so nice to speak with somebody who actually understands you, like, yeah. and and don't even have to explain yourself. You never have to explain. Nobody's ever judged. We're all fighting the good fight. It's it's really something that benefits yeah. our kids and our grandkids and and everybody that lives on this planet. And it astounds me, like it astounds you that how can they not get it? Some days. I just want to bonk them on the head. Like, <laughs> if I was your mother or if I was your grandmother, I would have bonked you on the head already. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So where are things right now? I mean, one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is because of all the different nations all across Canada saying, hey, how come these pipelines are continuing or this mining is continuing or, you know, these projects? And and I think I heard you say that uh, Alcor's Muskrat Falls or whatever is continuing and they're still bringing in workers. Funny, before the mayor had decided the motorcade blocked the road to Muskrat Falls, they had come up with a law where motorcades are not allowed now. Just the day before, we decided to do the motorcade to stop travelers coming in from Newfoundland. And it's so frustrating because they come up with the laws as they go along. Yeah. Like, how can they do that? I don't understand. Like, how come they can do that? How come we can't do that? 
That's why I don't believe for a minute that all of the laws and rules that federal and provincial governments are putting in place right now are purely and only related to the pandemic. I think they're taking yeah. this opportunity yeah. while we're all in our houses yeah, exactly. to push projects through and do things they know yeah. they shouldn't do. Yeah, you know they are. And I kind of feel bad for the workers because I'm thinking they must want to be home during this time. But they have no choice but to work. Everybody, even across Canada, is going to be paying for this project. Do you have any like advice or guidance for young people, young Inuk people, about defending the lands, defending the waters, defending the health of plants and animals? Given your really yeah. traumatic experience with all of this, yeah. is this something that you encourage young Inuk people to do or no? I'm hoping, Pam, I'm hoping that we we can fix it before they have to do anything about it. That's what I'm hoping. But if they do have to continue fighting, um, I'd just like to let them know that they're not alone, even though they make you feel alone, and that your ancestors and your parents and your grandparents, I know they're rooting for you. They're mm-hmm. totally rooting for you. Even even the Creator is rooting for you. Even Mother Earth is rooting for you. Everyone knows deep down what is right and wrong. It just all depends on which voice you decide to listen to. You find out how strong you are as well. I don't know if I would encourage them, but mm-hmm. I would rather someone make their own choice. I would rather they listen to their own voice. We're all in the same mind as you that let this be, this generation that's continuing this multi-generational fight. It would be so great if this was the last generation. And so my kids and my grandkids, they don't ever have to worry about this, that we can just end the violence of people and the violence of our lands and bring Mother Earth back to balance and health. And I I completely agree with you. I think that's the best path forward. I also forgot to give you an update on court. Great court is delayed because of the virus. But Judge Murphy had ruled us guilty. So now we're just waiting for sentencing. And so I, I don't have a clue what went back. Um, there's just basically 14, 14 of us left that's going, that's going to court. Every time I have to go to Supreme Court, I always get flashbacks or panic attacks or something mm-hmm. because I, ne- I never know what to expect from Judge Murphy because he's not an easy judge to talk to. Like, wouldn't you want a judge where you can easily talk to? Like, mm-hmm. like wouldn't you want to be able to talk to him if he really wants to know what you're thinking or what you're going to do, or if what you did, or why you did that, wouldn't you want a, a judge to listen? Like, you don't want to listen to anybody. Else. Is all I keep thinking. You do, you. It doesn't matter if I testify or anything. He doesn't care. It's so obvious, so obvious. And you're like trying to sit there, all composed, like, and 
trying, okay, be, keep, stay calm, be the friggin' big person. <laughs> I don't want to be the, I'm tired of being there, God. I don't want to be the friggin' bigger person anymore. Like, I'm only five for two. I should be able to friggin' <laughs> say what I want. <laughs> it's, it's just frustrating. Like, you just sit there and you can't do anything about it. And it's so frustrating. Like, and there's so much to say. Like, there's a lot of power in that five foot two. So they, they need to know you're a lot stronger than the size I might indicate. I, I thought I was five foot two and the nurse told me I'm five foot one. And then I got mad at her because <laughs> she said I was five foot one. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's cute. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Is there anything that allies or other activists can do to support either the Labrador land protectors or you personally with your ongoing court case? Is there anything we can do? I would just suggest because uh, since this is our fourth year in court that you donate to our legal fees, no matter how small, goes a long way. I think it's important. A lot of these issues, they go in the media. And then when they're not in the media anymore, people forget about it and think it's over. But the land defenders are often the ones who have to spend years afterwards, not only dealing with the trauma of it, but with all the legal fallout. Yeah, exactly. And then funny that Nelcor is a Crown Corporation and you're like sitting there and you're trying to come up with legal fees and he's there using your taxes to beat you in this case. So it's so corrupted. The whole system of extraction works for corporations and corporate CEOs and shareholders that make all the money and you know, hoard all their money in offshore accounts. It doesn't come to the people, doesn't do anything to protect our lands and waters, and they certainly don't even clean up their own messes. Yeah, exactly. And and this is like the government, and the government is supposed to work for you. Everything is so corporate bought. No, the the government is corporate bought, and people can disagree with me. If it was fair, I wouldn't have to raise funds for my legal fee. Exactly. It costs us to have access to justice and then it ends up being injustice anyway and somehow we've had to pay for it. Beatrice, I can't thank you enough for sharing your experiences, not just about the issue and how important it is to defend our lands, but for people to really understand how it impacts someone as an individual to be treated that way, like what the aftermath is of doing something like that. And I know that's very personal and I know it's very painful. And, you know, you've shared a lot with people here today. It's funny, Pam, but even my fellow Labradorians who actually didn't go through this trauma or any of this, even they don't understand. It's funny because you have to keep telling the story even if you don't want to you don't want it to happen again you don't want it to happen to your children you don't want it to happen to your grandchildren or anyone else who's who doesn't have a lot who's just trying to fight for their own rights you don't want to because honestly i i don't want to talk about it anymore you don't want anybody else go through this because it is supposed to be a free country thank you for making that sacrifice not just the sacrifice of the land defense and all of the courts but 
for talking about what is clearly a very painful issue because people need to understand everything that's involved in this. It's not a glamorous thing. It's actually something that I'm sure will stay with you the rest of your life. And I hope that we can have you back on this show sometime, uh, maybe to give an update or talk about other issues that are impacting Native women or Inuk people, for example, in your territory. And mm -hmm. I'll make sure to post a link and encourage people to contribute to your legal fund. And I, I really can't thank you enough for doing this, Beatrice. Thank you. Thank you, Pam, for helping us get the word out there. Um, because it, it is four years later and not a lot of people know about it, I know. That's for sure. And thank you to all our podcast listeners. I know some of the issues that we cover are difficult, but we're covering them for a reason to make sure that all of our land defenders know that they're not alone and that there's lessons to be learned in all of this. And I hope you learned a lot from Beatrice. I know I did. And like I said, I'll post a link to where we can do the donations. And one of the ways that you can support Beatrice, the land defenders, and all the defenders all over this country is really to share, share our stories and share our information. So share this podcast with people and make sure people hear about it. Use it in your classrooms, teach about it, share it with your families, and, and make sure all the social justice allies get to hear hear this as well and I'm hosted on SoundCloud but also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and Spotify. You can follow me on YouTube where I talk about some of these issues as well but I pretty much put all of this information all together in one spot on my website which is www.pampometer.com where you can access all of it and if you have any questions, just reach out on any of the social media venues. I'm always trying to forward links and ways in which we can help our Native land defenders all across the country. Till next time, everyone stay safe. Everyone keep protecting their families. Walaliag.